Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Free Exchange, the CapEx podcast. We're here with Nick Cohen, a writer for The Observer and Spectator and author of, among other books, What's Left, a study of how liberals lost their way, which, to quote its author, grows depressingly more topical with every wretched day. Um, so, Nick, I, I want to start. In, in your book, you, you, you say this. Um, there exists a subterranean world. This is quoting Norman Cohn. Um, there exists a subterranean world where pathological fantasies disguised as ideas are churned out by crooks and half-educated fanatics for the benefit of the ignorant and superstitious. There are times when this underworld emerges from the depths and suddenly fascinates, captures and dominates multitudes of usually sane and responsible people. Um, would you say that's a pretty good summary of what's happened in politics in the last yeah. 10 years? Yes, um, I, I, I believe that very strongly. I, I think something very odd happened after the Cold War um, with whatever you want to call it, the end of history, the triumph of capitalism, is that vast numbers of people, uh, you can call it, neoliberals or the Washington consensus whatever you want, the consensus was this is the only way to run the world and we needn't take notice of the extremes and people didn't take notice of irrational passions and irrational ideas which considering what happened in the 20th century was an extraordinary oversight so I was writing that book it was nearly 10 years ago now and I was noticing about my side of politics on the left how very very weird often really quite reactionary ideas uh, were developing in opposition to the consensus. But you could say the same if you look at Trump and you look at the pen. You know, you go back to when Trump was in the Republican nominations. He's a good laugh. He's a reality TV star. He won't get anywhere. How can he get anywhere? It's just impossible. Um, and uh, so, yes, uh, poor old Norman Cohen, Cohen, in my view, has been proved right. You know, there is a subterranean world, and it does rise up. And, incidentally, those supposedly sensible centrists turn out to be not so centrist and not so sensible after all, and they will go along with it, as long as it's sort of their side. And th- so that's what your diagnosis of Brexit would be? Brexit, Brexit, I think, is slightly different from Trump. Brexit, Brexit, is, Brexit is far more complicated, although the way it was sold to the British public, uh, as if we can have this without tears, Brexit without tears, we can have it all, you know... Um, uh, was was just open mendacity, and I wonder what is going to happen when um, it turns out there is a price to pay for this. I, I, I do wonder how, how how 17 million people who voted to leave are going to react. If, if it all goes wrong, if, if, well, if it all goes wrong. it's going to be hard. Um, uh, and you know, Boris Johnson 
Michael Gove, Nigel Farage, were very like Alex Salmond in the, in the Scottish independent referendum. They had their rather for Salmond it was the English, for uh, vote leave it was the EU, but they never said this is going to be difficult. If you want Scottish independence, if you want out of Europe, it's going to be hard. They're the kind of, the kind of anti-Churchillians, all these modern politicians. There's never any blood, sweat, toil and tears. You know, everything is going to be easy. Everything is going to be fine. And you say if it all goes wrong, if it all goes wrong, it's perhaps too simple. It's, it's going to be very difficult. There will be prices to pay. And, and the public was not told that. Yes, I mean, the other the politics... And economics and everything is always a game of trade-offs. Yeah. And it, but everything is being presented as absolute goods and absolute, yeah. absolute evil. Ha- having said that, I don't regard the Brexit vote as the same thing as the Trump vote and the same thing as Corbyn taking over the Labour Party. I think it's more complicated and it's a lot to do with Britain's history, England's history in particular, that we never really... We weren't... You know, going back to Norman Cohn, you know, every other country in Europe, with the exception of Switzerland and Sweden, was either invaded by the Nazis or invaded by the, by the communists, often invaded by both, or had the Greek colonels, or Franco, or Salazar. So the EU was a way out of a terrible past. We didn't have that. Yes, it, and, was, and it, it was a transactional relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, I think it's got far more to do with Britain's history uh, than, um, than, simply, than simply an irrational vote. Mentioning Franco and Salazar, you start what's left with a lovely story of how your mother, how you never had oranges growing up as a kid, because your mother refused to buy them from the Spanish dictators, the French dictators, the Portuguese dictators, sorry, you know, from Nixon's America, from from the Israel, from Israel. So, you know, is it fair to say your politics was sort of inherited rather than acquired? Yeah, I, I grew up in a very left wing family, um, uh, not not communist, but that strange talking about people going along with things. Uh, as you see on the right wing today. Um, I grew up in a family where, you know, it was sort of axiomatic that the West was at least morally equivalent to the Soviet Union. And that what you protested about was Vietnam, all the Greek colonels, say. Um, they weren't, my parents weren't extreme left. I mean, my father uh, uh, maybe read Salt, or encouraged me, not blame me encouraged me to read Solzhenitsyn when I was a boy and, uh, and Orwell and you know, I, was, I was brought up on that as well but it, what, it is this, this, uh, this world which you still see in Corbyn's Labour Party, the Greens, the Lib Dems to a way where what you know about is protesting against Western mm-hmm. democracy um, and that's not wholly bad, there are lots of good reasons for doing it, there's lots to protest about but that was the world I was yeah, and, 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 to, and to be left wing is to be virtuous and to be virtuous is to be left wing I, gen- I genuinely uh, it took me a long time probably until I was in my thirties to be able to regard anyone who's conservative as anything other than immoral um, you know uh, I could not see how you could be a decent man or decent woman and be a conservative until I was really quite old what changed I think conservatism became better uh, under Cameron and Osborne. That's all gone now. Um, I think uh, what changed was my view of of the left. Although the left is left is far too there are dozens of lefts in Britain. You you can't generalise, but the dominant form of the left, uh, which I have come to regard as in its own way as reactionary, is certainly UKIP. 
and in some of its alliances as reactionary as neo-fascists or Le Pen or the BNP. If you look at what they go along with, they don't actually uh, follow principles, particularly with regard to women's rights or gay rights. Or they, they will ally with the most extreme... The, the idea that to stop the war means stop America's wars, but Russia's wars are fine, and Iran's wars are fine, and Iraq... Yeah. Well, it's worse than that. Stop the war means um, uh, openly supporting... Uh, what they called the resistance in Iraq, which were Al-Qaeda death squads. It means um, uh, Seamus Milne, Corbyn's advisor, going to some Black Sea resort and uh, sucking up to um, uh, Putin in the most toading fashion. It also means that you can have no comradeship, to use that rather interesting left-wing idea. You know, what is an Iranian feminist meant to do? Uh, if she is trying to organise um, uh, uh, support for the oppression of women in the wrong, she turns to people who call themselves left-wing in Europe and North America, who call themselves feminists or socialists. Or, uh, interestingly, for reasons I get to, hardly anyone uses the word socialist anymore, um, uh, or liberals or whatever, and they say, no, 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 you can't support. We won't support you. We won't protest on campuses. Uh, about you, we won't uh, lobby Amnesty International to do anything about you, uh, because somehow by doing that we're supporting imperialism. And this this leads to a very bizarre world where you know the rights for women are all very well for white-skinned women in uh, in uh, Hampstead or Highgate, but not for brown-skinned women in in Tehran or Baghdad. Um, it is, as I say, that is in my mind, certainly point of view of universal human rights, a highly reactionary position to be in, but is one where large, large numbers of certainly intellectual left have found themselves. And for you, the kind of, the, the breach point, I guess, was um, Saddam Hussein, where suddenly, when he invades Kuwait and becomes America's enemy, everyone starts going, yeah. what a great person. I'm, I, I, I'm, rather, I, I'm rather an exception here. I'm the only person uh, who, who, for whom the Iraq war may be less left-wing. It <laughs> has to be said. No, it was simply because, um, uh, if you read uh, uh, that book, which begins with Iraq, it's simply because you know, I've been involved in campaigns for uh, support for Kurds who have been subject to genocidal violence, gassing, you know, full Hitlerian violence, um, by Saddam. And one of your colleagues at the Observer had been killed. Murdered by, yes. Um, uh, Father Bazov. Um, and it wasn't that people were opposed to Tony Blair or George W. Bush. It was the way they went automatically in support of a regime, to use an overused word, you could genuinely describe as fascist. And it had the great leader. It had the omnipresent terror state. The golden statues. The golden yeah. statues. And it, it gassed, actually gassed ethnic minorities. Uh, impure ethnic minorities, non-Arab ethnic minorities, uh, the Kurds. And I kept thinking, well, when is the left... And when is, you know, um, the liberal mainstream? You know, one of the interesting things about Corbyn is, and what's happening is, the far left is being portioned away from the liberal mainstream. But the liberal mainstream is highly complicit in all of this. When am I going to hear a presenter on the BBC just ask the question, okay, fine, fine, fine. Dreadful business, George W. Bush. But, you know, what do you say to all the victims of this regime? Where are you politically? Now, if it had just been Iraq, I could understand that crises, uh, you know, push people into all positions. 
But it is, it is sort of everywhere, though things are perhaps getting a bit better. You know, if I were to show you an article from any newspaper in any language and hand it to you, and it's defence of, say, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, which believes in the subjugation of women, uh, the execution of homosexuals, uh, anti-Semitism, the execution, the execution of any Muslim who of his or her own free will decides to renounce their faith. And say, what type of newspaper is this in? Because you're obviously in it. This is, this is a left-wing newspaper. And you have to stand back a bit and just say, how weird is that? And what on earth has happened to, uh, to understand you know, just how bad things have got? But for you, this wasn't just a sort of academic exercise where you wrote a few articles and, and made your point. No. I mean, this had a real personal cost. I, I remember uh, a few years back, I went to an event you were speaking at, and there were a couple of um, young Muslim guys in the audience, and every time you opened your mouth, they just started shouting at you. And you, you basically had this kind of personal hate squad which followed you around to public appearances. Well, I still do to an extent, but I mean, it doesn't bother me. I mean, one good thing about my childhood was, you know, I, you, know you, you learn to be unpopular. And you learn to think, well, that's all right. I mean, you're also expected uh, to get your pleasure out of the struggle, so to speak. Um, uh, that's that's absolutely you know, that, that doesn't bother me at all. I mean, one of the interesting one of the interesting things about what the web has done has made an awful lot of people used to this, um, and you know, because you get the the stalkers on Twitter, you get the lunatics in comment sections under whatever you write. Everyone does. I mean, you would if you wrote anything, you know, however anodyne. Um, so you just get used to it and ignore it. But, I mean, did, did you lose any friendships over, over this? Not good friendships, no. I mean, did, uh, uh, one reason why I've become more tolerant, you know, I now have conservative friends, for instance. You know, extraordinary thing to have. Uh, uh, I can't quite say I've never kissed a Tory, but I don't always check in the past these days. Um, uh, but... Uh, uh, no, you, 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 uh, to me, uh, a civilised life means you do not lose good friends over politics. You, know, you, do, you don't let politics become so important that you endanger your friendship. I mean, weak friendships, drinking friendships, yes, I have done, but you know, so on. It, it, if someone loses, someone breaks the friendship with you over your politics, I just think they're not, you know, they were never really a friend in there. Place. Which is an interesting uh, contrast with your Islington neighbour Jeremy Corbyn, who uh, who broke up his marriage because his wife wanted to send their kid to a selective school. Jeremy, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, that is, that is a type of fanaticism, or it's a type of purity. Um, there's one thing that's always struck me that no one mentions it. But when I was young, great political event was a minor strike. Very, very. Um, uh, powerful moment in late 20th century history when you sort of felt you left the miners had to win even knowing all how badly they were being led by Arthur Scargill but there was a moment at the end of the strike where Arthur Scargill had led the miners to disaster and the trade union movement to disaster because the consequences of losing that strike were just massive and at every stage during the strike where Thatcher or at least the National Coal Board who weren't quite as bad as people like to paint them we were trying to get a compromise solution and, and Scargill was saying no. He never wants to be accused of being a sellout. And so he leaves them clear. By the end, miners are virtually starving. You know, they're begging for food. The union is broken. The union movement is broken. And Len Murray, I think, asked him when it's finally all over, he said, how do you feel, Arthur? And Scargill comes out with one of those terrifying lines, I think, in left-wing history. He said, I feel pure. 
and Corwin will be like that whatever happens now he will feel pure so to my mind I don't think he will give up the leadership of the Labour Party I don't think it will matter if Labour go down 55 seats they did in 1931 I think he has got to keep going until he can hand it on to someone equally left wing in other words, in other words otherwise he'll be impure uh, and he'll be accused of selling out yeah I mean it must have been a sort of weird and slightly traumatising experience for you to see all these people you researched and you knew about suddenly you know these creatures from the fringes suddenly popping up in the well taking over the party uh, yes it was um, on the other hand uh, <laughs> I, I very good for business very good for business yes indeed on the other hand you know, I'm now being hailed as a prophet and people are buying my books and as I say to everyone you know you don't have to read them you just have to buy them I may be greedy but I'm not a sadist um, and people buying books I'll be hailed as a prophet I, I, I do like to call I'm truly a prophet I'll put a grand on Corbyn when he was 500 to 1 three Labour leader and, uh, and, done, and done very well out of it. but also Every generation, I think, has got to learn has got to learn its own from its own mistakes, and I do hope that some the reaction against Corbyn will produce something better. Which I suppose is that Fukuyama point that you know, people thought it was over and they didn't have to make the argument, the sort of first principles arguments yeah. again about why you know liberal economics but also liberal social values are yeah. are a good thing. Yes, um, and. Uh, and you can still see that in, in a lot of... Uh, you still see that, I would say, as much on the centre-right uh, as well, on the centre-right. So I was going to say, it feels like the, the natural sort of sequel to, to what's left now is who's right. Yeah, well, I don't know. Uh, uh, perhaps I should have started a few years ago. Um, uh, it, is, it is very, very interesting watching Conservatives, how they react to Trump and react to UKIP and react to uh, Johnson and Gove is that who is going to stand up and say well actually we're conservatives we don't believe in it and who goes along with it in other words who is so caught up in partisan politics they would rather die than offer any comfort to I don't know the Guardian you know uh, who um, uh, just you know cannot break with their own side even when their own side is no longer their own side even when conservative principles on free trade for instance uh, protectionism, uh, the rule of law, the independence of judiciary, even they're all going out of the window. Um, think, oh, my God, if I say anything, I'm giving comfort to all those ghastly social workers and muesli eaters and every cliche you've got. And Trump, Trump is quite clever at exploiting this. Everyone goes on about his attacks on the media. But literally, as far as I can see, I'm not a great expert on the American, but about the one thing that unites conservatives in America, and I'd say conservatives here, is their hatred of the liberal media. Yeah. And so by doing that, Trump is carrying along people who ought to be having, who ought to be having, ought to be having severe doubts about it. I mean, there's a, there's a phrase you use in your book, which I spotted you, about the left, which I then spotted you using about the right the other week, which is the, a dark liberation. The idea that, you know, if you're a, someone on the, well, in the centre, who's been sort of spending their life sitting there reading policy papers, and yeah. suddenly, can, and suddenly there's a kind of mass movement and a feeling of you know, you know, the the, the men with the arm, it's almost the men with the armbands. Well, it's what I mean, but you know, working class men with big muscles, you know, the kind of guys you never met at school, the kind of guys you know you thought would always be you know running strikes or you having to call police. Rest. Suddenly they're all on your side. They're all right wingers now. You know, and uh, <coughs> we complain to be the true party of the working class, and it is an it is an exhilarating feeling for them, and they will, uh, and you can see it happen, trample over lot. I, I, I said the other day, 
that you know, in America there are really principled conservative writers uh, and thinkers attacking Trump. And in Britain, one, uh, one picks up the right-wing press and, and just sees attacks on Trump's opponents. Oh, weren't those women marching terrible? Weren't they ridiculous? Or look at the liberal press, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know, why aren't there conservative English conservative intellectuals doing the same thing? And various English conservative journalists all started pointing me to this or that or the other and protesting I was being unfair. And perhaps I was too. I, I, think, I mean, I think certainly about Trump, that's unfair. I mean, yeah, I was being unfair. But I mean, you still, I look at the conservative press, I look at the Telegraph, the Mail, you know, and they don't quite know. They feel very, they still seem very uncomfortable criticising the right wing which is moving away, which is you know, how is this conservative? And equally, and here is, there is a connection with Brexit, and it is fair to say, if you look at them now, the way the right wing is shouting down anyone who's... Like the enemies of the people. En- enemies of the people kind of stuff, which is a denial of the possibility of opposition. And John Major and Tony... Blair, and Blair. All, it's always personal. And the way they are getting away from Italy, you know, it's, it's a very difficult circumstance the Burkean ideal of what a Member of Parliament should be. You know, we've just had we've just had something quite remarkable. The House of Commons have voted us to leave the EU and the majority of the House of Commons thinks we should stay in the EU. Yeah. What is going to happen if to use your words it all go wrong? What are those MPs going to do from Theresa May, starting with Theresa May, who incidentally voted to remain within the same EU, what are they going to say to the constituents well, I never believed in this. I thought it was a stupid idea, but you know, we had to follow the referendum results. Will the public accept that? Or will they say, well, hold on a second, you're meant to be our leaders? But I, I mean, I think this, this speaks to a bigger thing, which I kind of wrote about uh, in my own book, about how the sort of representative function is being, is being stripped out. That, yes. um, in Dave Egger's book, The Circle, there's this idea that you, you know, you're going to end up with a, a sort of thing on your watch which flashes up and goes, you know, should we bomb Syria, yes or no? And mm. everyone, everyone pushes the button, and that's how it, how it happens. The, you yeah. know, the, 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 what's important is the, the unfiltered will of the people at that particular instant mm. must be obeyed. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. And, that, and that's what's happened in the Labour Party as well. I mean, it is extraordinary that whatever it was, two-thirds, three-quarters of Labour MPs say, we do not want this man as our leader. And he's still the leader because the members have voted for him. And you, you can say, well, yes, that's the modern world, Nick. That is 300,000 people who are pressing their watch and saying, yes, we want Jeremy Corbyn. On the other hand, does it work? Will it work? We are still a parliamentary democracy. It is actually impossible to lead if you don't have support from majority members in the House of Commons. We are still a parliamentary democracy. So, on one hand, you're right, and that is absolutely true. Modern world is exactly how you describe it. On the other hand, it doesn't work. Um, we will see if Brexit works. I, I have very strong doubt. It certainly hasn't worked in the case of the Labour Party, having a presidential election system in effect they've got with primaries, with a parliamentary uh, um, mm. party system. It's just, it just cannot be made to work. So, I mean, I suppose, how do you, how do you fix this? I mean, what's the... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is, 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 is what we need, I suppose, is the locus of opposition to this stuff, the sort of, given the strength of the Tory party, kind of going to have to be the, the, within the Tory party? Or do you see that kind of liberal realignment that people are talking about? Of you know forming a new party or some sort of kind of coalesce, some sort of coalescing of all the people who sit around in Islington at dinner parties. Uh, well, I think I think forty eight percent of the population are rather more than people sitting around dinner parties in Islington. It is I keep pointing out and they keep saying we're elitists. So this must be the biggest elite in world history. You know, uh, Sixteen million people. Uh, I do think. Well, I think several things. I think that the Conservative Party will see if it holds together. But there are massive tensions building up in it between, if you like, liberal conservatism, which is you know, global and globalist, and English nationalist conservatism, which is you know, Ian Duncan Smith. Although that's one side. Uh, I think there are te- tensions between business, uh, big business and small business, between you know, for most big businesses, medium-sized businesses, unless Theresa May gets a good deal for which she'll have to make big concessions. The Conservatives will no longer be the party of business. That would be a very, very big moment. So we will see what happens with the Tory party. I do think, call me a cockeyed optimist, I do think that the seeds of the next 1997 are being sown now. I do think that because the right has chosen to go for the hardest Brexit they possibly can, there will be a... uh, a big liberal realignment and, and if you like a liberal backlash liberal backlash politics um, coming and I can feel it I can't give you data I can't prove it but you can see it's happening you can see it happening on the left in that Corbyn has lost virtually all intellectual support I mean I can't think of any writer or serious figure uh, apart from actors who uh, are supporting him anymore uh, it's just because suddenly the world's got serious and this is no longer a game where you can say okay we'll put our man in and maybe in 5, 10, 20, 30 years we will win an election on our policies because that, that assumes that Conservatives are gentlemen who when you're, you're like a player who's off the field injured they will stop the game and hold the ball until you get back on the field of course they're just going ahead and, uh, and, and, and driving ever further, and driving ever further, further rightwards and you do feel that intellectually that's all over and there'll be a big realignment. The mechanics of how you get there, I mean, there's a huge market for it. The mechanics of how you get the product to market are 
as you as you rather hint it, are rather formidable. Oh, especially, I mean, you know, Tony Blair. It, it must be quite ironic. You know, you were one of the early critics of yeah. Tony Blair and New Labour, but now it's that's that's the gap in the market. But Blair himself is, you know, despised. I, 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 yeah, that's what, I, he called me in before he made that speech, and we had a chat. And I don't think I'm breaking a confidence. Uh, when he when, when I said when he said he said well you know, do you think I should do this because you know, so many people hate me and I said well <laughs> you know I mean some I'm sorry that wasn't that wasn't a verbatim quote but you know I'm you know it's difficult for me to do this given my popularity I'd be careful what I say and I said well some people do I mean the Mail do the Guardian do but lots of people don't first of all and then lots of people will disagree with you on the right they agree with you on this so you know just get on with it speak you know you shouldn't be worried about things like that. Um, I think it's very telling that people like Blair and Major have come out of retirement and George Osborne made quite an interesting speech last night about it all, just pointing out very, very obvious things. Yeah. This won't be broadcast for a few weeks, but... Yeah, sorry, well, George Osborne made a speech recently just pointing out very, very obvious things that we would, you know, lo- losing full membership of the single market, you'd have to get the most stunning trade deals for the rest of the world who begin to compensate with that. And it's interesting you're getting people who are out of power or retired just trying to shake uh, the Conservative Party out of a, you know, to go back to um, uh, Norman Cohen's quote, you know, trying to get some of them to regain their senses. Um, and those are the only voices powerful of doing it because one of the most uh, notable things that happened is, is what's happened to the moderate Conservatives. You know, what's happened to all these people who supported David Cameron, who campaigned to Britain to stay in the EU? Only Ken Clark on the Tory side voted against Article 50. So, you know, all these Nicky Morgans and people who make a big fuss and a big noise, you know, where are they all now? What are they going to do? Well, I suppose, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of in a similar position myself. I, I, voted to, I voted Remain, but my sort of theory is that once you've decided to do Brexit, you have to do you have to do Brexit, you know, a soft, the, you know, the, the, the alternative is, is you know, the, the same thing we have now, but a bit crapper on every level, mm. unless you actually go for something and say, okay, we're really going to, you know, we're going to try, try doing the trade deals with everyone else, we're going to, you know, reinvigorate ourselves, you know, this, you know, obviously you want to have the, as close as possible deal with Europe, but, you know, there's no point to going through the pain unless you're build, going to build something actually different at the end of it. Well, uh, uh, that's, a, that's a very fair argument. It was not, however, an argument made during a referendum campaign. There was no mention of pain by uh, vote leave. Uh, there was no acknowledgement there would be pain. So what happens when that pain comes? Now, two things could happen. Uh, the first, I would say, because this is what I want to happen, and people always love to dress up their preferences as, as, as impartial predictions, is that the country will turn on the people who've led them to this and say, yeah, pretty much they said with Blair and Iraq, you lied to us. Uh, the other, the alternative, which is just as likely I don't want to happen, is we'll see some genuinely very right-wing politics then. Because um, uh, charlatans like Johnson go Farage, they're not going to oh, stand up and hold up their hands and say, oh, we are, OK, we did mislead you. Yeah, we brought to the said there's going to be a lot of pain in all of this. Uh, they will start to blame. Uh, they blame the EU, obviously. They're already blaming the EU for punishing us for leaving. Uh, I worry about e- EU citizens in Britain. I worry about ethnic minorities. You know, who are they going to turn on rather than turn on I, themselves? I mean, 
who are they going to say is responsible for this if they're not responsible? But I, I mean, the way you allied Boris and Gove and, and Farage, I, I, I can't agree with. I mean, you know, the, the reason that Leave won the referendum was because they kicked Farage as far as they, they could from the, from the centre stage. Well, if you look at how they were, I mean, it's all rather uh, historical now, they started off, um, I've actually dug out all the quotes from various people I'm sure your listeners well, actually may have heard of, of like Dominic Cummings, as I say, never heard of. So, we, you know, we won't touch race. We won't touch immigration. And by the end, as Farage quite rightly said, they were running a UKIP campaign. It was all about 65 million Turks. Syrians are all, are all, are all about to come here. So, and, so, so, and, so, and, the, and the 350 million a week. Um, yeah. So, 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 so there's that point. But also, it's just the logic of the position. You know, the, log, the logic of the position they're in is, is driving them right. The logic of the position is, is the liberal case for Brexit is, well, where is it? You know, where where are all these uh, uh, Johnsons and Goes saying? Well, obviously we want I don't know uh, a Norwegian deal so we can stay in the single market but have actually really quite a bit of control. And obviously, Norway is does not just the to place. They were all saying that at the beginning of the campaign. That's all gone. You know, to go back to Norman Cohn, if you don't stand up and smash these ideas on the head very early, they, they, they carry you along and I think a lot of Conservatives are being carried along most notably Theresa May, who as I keep pointing out did not vote for this But equally May's passion has always been about controlling immigration, I mean if you read her that kind of the conference speech a couple of years ago where she where it was just kind of compared to Genghis Khan in a dress uh, by some people you know that's very clear that she really really wants to do this and you know in order to do that you have to leave the single market because you can't have free movement and well yeah you say that um, uh, the immigration that most worries people let's be frank about this and uh, the immigration that most worries people is is uh, immigrants coming from Pakistan who may be Islamic State that's what worries people. Are people really that worried about French and Germans coming to Britain? And also when she was homosexual, she didn't stop immigration from uh, non-EU countries or cut it significantly. But again, going back to, my, to, to a point I made earlier, if Theresa May were to stand up and say, yeah, okay, I accept. Uh, I want really tough, big reductions in immigration. And I accept a large part of the country wants that as well. If you were then saying, but there will be a price to pay for this, it will hurt a lot of businesses, it will hurt agriculture, it will hurt the hospitality industry, it will hurt all kinds of small businesses and quite a few big businesses as well. But as long as you, you know, but that's it, blood, sweat, toil and tears. If this is what we want, we have to pay the price. But again, she's not doing it. In her own way, she is, you know, she's just like Farage, she's all salmon. She's not saying that, uh, that to get what you want, will involve sacrifices or trade-offs, to, to use her words. And I do, I do keep saying, I think we're in a kind of phony war at the moment, I wonder what's going to happen when those sacrifices become evident. And as I say, it could turn around and be a liberal opportunity, uh, or things could get an awful lot nasty. So, you, 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 you use the word liberal quite a lot, and you sort of describe yourself as a liberal. I mean, what, what's your sort of version of liberalism? Okay. What's, what would you like to see... If you were in number ten, if I was in number ten, as I should be, absolutely. Um, can I be culture secretary? Oh, so of course, can. Get to yeah, go to everyone get, get, to, get to go to all the cricket matches. Yeah, yeah I think he's in some opera as well. Not so big on the opera, but no, I'll, 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 do, I'll do the pop music. Um, no, I mean, I believe, uh, uh, I believe very strongly in, in human rights yeah. uh, and universal. 
unlike the left, I don't believe that, uh, that Muslim women have less rights than white women. Um, I believe strongly in English liberties, including you know, those often hard to defend freedom of the press. So, again, very strongly against Leveson and people like that. On economics, I'm probably, I'm probably more social democratic than liberal. Uh, I think there is a bit of a gap. Uh, I don't know if your foundation is filling this at all, but after the crash, there is less thoughtfulness from uh, believers in neoliberalism or free market economics than I would expect. Not just about what went wrong in 2008, but about big, big questions now on why is it that uh, average incomes are stagnating? Why is productivity stagnating? In other words, are the reforms sort of associated with Thatcher and Reagan to capitalise mm -hmm. yeah, massively? Are they running out of steam? Uh, are they failing to deliver now? And if so, why? And what can be done? There's kind of, um, perhaps Trump has killed it off, I know. There was kind of a last gasp free market conservatism, I thought, after the crash. And there wasn't enough um, uh, people coming up with solutions or questioning, um, uh, questioning, what, questioning why, again, another event no one expected had happened and, and what can be done in the future. So I'm, I'm far more social democratic on economics. Are, are there any people out there who, sort of, who you see as representing a decent enough fraction of those, of those values? Lots of people, yeah. Um, <laughs> This goes back to what we were saying earlier. It's very odd in Britain at the moment, uh, with politics so polarised. There is there is a huge millions upon millions of people who are essentially liberal, essentially centrist, who are just not represented in politics at the moment. Um, if you were to take um, pretty much everyone from John Cruddus and Yvette Cooper from the left through to David Cameron, George Osborne, Nicky Morgan on the right is excluded from mainstream, from leading positions in mainstream politics. It is a very strange position we're in with this far left in control of the Labour Party and this rather cynical, I, I think he's very cynical, politician Theresa May and a hard Brexit in control of the Tory party and everything in between is somehow now impossible or, but that in between is where millions upon millions of people stand. So you don't buy the idea uh, that, sort of, that May is actually, what, what May is trying to do is to sort of sell, glo sell globalisation to, to, national, to nationalists if you like so she's trying to find a, find a way to get the, you know, get the benefits without the costs and you know that she. I mean, a certain, well, certain. I mean, Philip Hammond, for example. His his economics seem to be sort of fairly, fairly in the in the mould that you were you were talking about. Well, uh, uh, I, I I fully accept, and I take the word that maybe what she's trying to do. I don't for the life of me see how she or Philip Hammond can achieve those objectives while while uh, going through Brexit. And I guess I just don't. It it is as people say, like fighting a war. It is the most difficult thing we've done since World War Two. Again, just pointing out, that difficulty was never made clear to the electorate. And all these things of a new working class conservatism. Or do you remember there was Philip Hamill's meant to have ended austerity, well that's back. 
um, you know, it just won't be possible. There are there are huge opportunity costs to taking on something like Brexit and forging a new type of conservatism is one of the things that's going to go into the uh, dustbin of history, I think. So, I mean, what do you do? I mean, what do you sort of see your own role as being? I mean, do, do you sort of wake up in the morning filled with rage or despair? Or? Uh, I, I, I'm a journalist. I normally wake up thinking, oh my God, what am I going to write? And I've got a deadline in a few hours. Uh, um, and, what, and what the hell was I drinking? Uh, no, I've, I've given up. I've given up. Uh, um, uh, but, uh, you see, I don't really see it as a job of journalists. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm well. I'm uncomfortable in being a spokesman. I mean, I really am highly suspicious of people like Owen Jones or Paul Mason or Boris Johnson or Michael Gove, who are on the one hand journalists, on the other politicians, and you think, well, who are they? What are they? Do they have? Uh, uh, they feel any sense? Are they writing this because it's what they believe or what they found out, or are they saying that to get advantage within their own party? Um, and it's never very clear to me who they are or what they are. They all seem rather slippery. I mean, I I feel first first of all as a journalist, my first overwhelming duty is to my readers, is to try to be as honest with them as I can. Um, and second, I don't think journalists on the whole make good joiners. We're not good committee men. You know, you should never ask us to organise anything or, uh, or or run a meeting or seek a consensus. So I don't see myself as, um, uh, as a you know, politician monkey. I don't, you know, I, I don't think journalists are, they might be quite successful politicians, but I don't think they're very good journalists. And you, and you mentioned honesty there. I mean, one of the things which comes across, especially in your more recent writing, is your, sort of, your absolute contempt for people who don't tell the truth. Yeah. Well, it's quite, it's quite interesting now. We've now got a President of the United States who sort of lies all the time and quite deliberately and calls truthful news fake news and just to get back to what we were saying at the beginning you know yes obviously Amber Rudd Theresa May are not like Trump obviously I mean I'm sure they would have voted for Hillary Clinton but like this if they, if they, if they, if they were in the American election but you can see them sniffing all of them sniffing the wind like dogs going hmm this works He's got elected. He's doing quite well. And they are all now denouncing true news as fake news. Uh, and you can see everyone, they, all kinds of politicians are thinking, one, we can lie. And two, when people expose us, we can say they are the real lies. It's worked for Trump. You know, uh, success in politics produces many imitators. Um, and, and Trump is doing it. And as you quite rightly said, on, on the scoundrel left as much as the right. And, um, and one final thing, just uh, which came up earlier, you said that no one really calls themselves socialists anymore, apart from obviously Jeremy Corbyn and, mm. and John McDonnell. Do they really call themselves socialists? Yes, I mean McDonnell's written a, um, you know, we, we believe in socialism with an iPad. He, uh, back in a few years ago, he wrote uh, the Manifesto for 21st Century Socialism, um, which looked a lot like 20th century Fairly socialism. Uh, 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 the point I was trying to make was this point I've been wrestling with for a long time is this is that when the Berlin War falls, when Cold War's over, history's over, all the rest of it, what happens to the left? Where does it go? And where it ends up in is a place essentially where any, any enemy of the West will do 
however right wing. So to go back to what I was saying earlier, a 20th century socialist, at least a principled one, would look at Jeremy Corbyn and say, well, what the hell is all of this? Atlee, for example. Yeah, or people well for the left of Atlee. They, they, they would say, they would say well, what, what do you mean you're supporting people who, who think women should be veiled I mean, for the me, head to toe for, 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 for me, the Putin worship is the, is the, kind yeah. of the key thing. Because Farage has exactly the same thing. Yeah, uh, or, you're su- or, or you're supporting Putin. I mean, it's understandable why Trump and Farage and Marine Le Pen would like Putin. You know, he's he's uh, he's revived very cynically Russian orthodoxy. He's a capitalist gangster. You know, he passes laws to legalise wife building and per- wife beating, sorry, and persecuting gays. You know, I mean, but what's Corbyn? What's the left going going along with it all? And the essential point I make is is the far left isn't really socialist anymore. It's just a vacuity. It's a reaction. It, it will go along with anything or anyone as long as they're anti-Western. It has no principled thought-through programme of its own, which I think you can see with Corbyn McDonald. I mean, I, you know, just because parties are unpopular doesn't mean they're a success. You know, the Labour Party in the 30s reduced to 55 seats, came back, and the ideas began then from the 1945 Labour government. The, the left under Thatcher in the 80s, well, you know, didn't get very far, but all kinds of things were dismissed as loony leftism, political correctness at the time on gay rights, women's rights, anti-racism began there and became very widely accepted. You know, the Tories after 1997, not anyone took any notice of them. Uh, banging on about Europe, as David Cameron said, but still, we're out of the EU now. I think when people look back at the rump of the Labour Party now, what good ideas are going to come out of there there's nothing there's just it's, it, it's an attitude it's not a programme that's all they've got is just uh, we won't stand for the national anthem we'll, we'll make excuses for, en- for any enemy of Britain there's no principle behind any of this um, uh, you know that nothing represents the triumph of neoliberalism after 1989 as well as the banality of its enemies on that note, Nick Cohen, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Free Exchange from CapEx. I'm Robert Colville, CapEx's editor, and I hope I'll see you again next week. If you like this, please subscribe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.